0: All right, well, if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open to John chapter 10. And we are going to look at a pretty famous passage. Um, And, um, you know, John is Jesus' closest friend, right? And he was the one who knew Jesus the best. And he gives us these different pictures of who Jesus is. And um, in the Gospel of John, they're called the I Am Statements, and there's seven of them. And they're ways in which we look at God. And so we've looked at him as the bread of life, what does it mean when the Bible says, oh, he's the bread of life? What does it mean that he is the light of the world? What does it mean when he says, hey, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and the resurrection in the life? What does it mean when Jesus says, I am the true vine? But this morning, we're going to focus on one and and reference another, but we're going to, Jesus says, um, I'm the good shepherd. And I want you to think about what it means for him to be your good shepherd. I mean, when you think of the term shepherd in your life, what does that mean for you? What does a shepherd do? And so Jesus is taking this idea, this analogy of a shepherd, and he's saying, okay, I want to use this. You know, when you kind of... Um, they say when you look at a diamond, you need to turn it around. You see all the different ways in which you know, it sparkles and, and the, in the ways you can understand it. And so that's what we're doing. We're just taking this 360 degree of Jesus. And he goes, okay, if you, if you turn it here and you see me as the good shepherd, let me explain to you guys what it means. And so here's um, Jesus um, speaking about what it means um, to, to be the good shepherd. He's speaking to Pharisees, these self-righteous people. That can be you and can be me. People that we think we know it all, but Jesus is like, no, no, no. let me explain who I am. Let me use this to explain it to you. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate... Is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. You think about that as a parent, right? You never, I mean, no, that's a stranger voice. That's not the voice of my dad. I know my dad's voice, right? I know my mom's voice, but this isn't my mom or my dad. This is a stranger. Jesus is saying, but they will never follow. The true sheep will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Therefore Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I'm the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the fullest. Do you believe that Jesus as your shepherd wants you to have a full life In another translation, it's the abundant life. Or is your life as a Christian, as a sheep, just about um, kind of this less than life? Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Okay. When you think of shepherding Um, i think jesus i think jesus uses this analogy the shepherd because you know jewish uh, jesus is jewish and jesus knew the torah and knew all the old testament and when i think of the most famous uh, psalm in all the bible it's psalm 23 i think the lord is my shepherd right and when you think of Psalm 23, maybe your grandmother, or your grandfather loved that psalm because it basically says, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. It says things like, he leads me down to quiet and still waters. He restores my soul. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And in some ways, I almost think we have this nostalgic view of, man, the Lord is my shepherd and it's so good. But... When you think about what Jesus is saying, at some level, he is saying to us, he's saying, you know what, you are a, if I'm a shepherd, that means you're a sheep. (laughs) And what are sheep? Dumb. (laughs) Yep, yep, you're dumb, I'm dumb. That's what he's saying, right? They're a bit (laughs) dim-witted. They are, um, what happens when you open up the gate and sheep go right. I mean, what happens when you open up a gate and you let a horse run out? We watch Secretariat, or as my youngest son calls it, Secretariat, right? We watch Secretariat, right? I mean, what happens when you open a, you see a wild horse and it just goes, it runs away, it goes wild, right? It, I mean, and 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 a sheep when you when you um, when you open up the gate, what happens? They're slow and they wander aimlessly. They don't go home and they don't go like away. They just kind of wander. And that's why when you let a sheep go by itself, they die. You know, they, they, they would eat a poisonous plant or whatever. But they, they die without a shepherd. Because, you know, a shepherd has to live with his sheep. And by implication, Jesus is saying to you and to me, Kind of what Paulie was saying as we as we talked about the providence of God and the care, the total care of God. Here's what Jesus says. Don't think of Lord as my shepherd, as this nostalgic, He He leads me into cool waters. That's part of it. And that's a great psalm. No, here's the here are the roles, right? That he he plays. He plays as shepherd. He protector. He's your provider. He's your physician. He is your leader. He is your guide. He is your owner. And by implication in this passage, if he is your shepherd, how do you deal with being a sheep and being viewed as a sheep by God, (laughs) right? You don't know where to go. And there's a reason why they, I mean, I, I said this a few weeks ago, even though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, literally, sheep would walk off the cliff because the valley... When the shadow hit wrong, and they would not see the shepherd, and they weren't following the shepherd, the sheep would just walk, and they could not tell that there was a cliff there. And all the time, sheep would literally walk off cliffs and fall to their death. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because I have my shepherd, and my shepherd is my protector. And he's asking you, um, what do you think of that? What do you think of Jesus as your shepherd? I mean, I think some of you would say, um, I, guess, I guess I believe that, but I can't stand the thought of that. Because you know what I want to have Jesus as? I want Jesus to be my consultant. <laughs> I mean, I paid the retainer fee, Right? If I paid the retainer fee, well, then you know what? When something comes up, I can give my consultant a call, and I could say, hey, you know what? I'm not very good in this area. I paid the fee. I'm asking you the question, what do I do here? Oh, Jesus, I should do that? Good. Okay, thank you. I'll call you when I need you. I mean, When's the last time you saw Jesus as what? No, no, no. Uh, he, is, he is my shepherd, right? Right. Um, I need to admit this, I need to admit that I'm not savvy, I am a bit dumb, I'm a bit uh, dense, and I don't get it. And you know what? I need a shepherd. I need someone to what? To rule and reign over every area of my life. That's what a shepherd did for the sheep. He says, you know what? Okay, I know sheep, you have a temper, And because I'm with you all the time, I'm going to, I want to rule and reign over every area of your life. And this temper right here, I want to take control of it. I have providence over your anger. You think all you can do is explode. And you know what? If I'm your shepherd, there are different ways to do life. Now, it's going to take some work, but come to me, right? I will show you how to deal with anger. I will show you all you do is cower in these situations. You think, okay, this, it's, the world is ending. This is going, you know what? I know I need to have to, you know, my client here wants to hear this, and so I'm going to let him hear that, even though I know it's not being, you know, kind of the complete picture of what we offer. I want to go ahead and include that because we need to get this deal. And, you know, and Jesus says, no, look, I'm the shepherd even over that. You know when you feel like you have to use this language and you have to use this coarse language and it's wrong and the profanity tirade that you, you gave, you just feel you need to go off. You know what? He says, I'm shepherd over your life. I want to rule over that. I want to rule over that because I love you. I, you, know, you know, when you know, you, this happens in the bedroom, I, I want to rule over all things. Everything in your life, I want to rule and reign over. Your money, your marriage, the lunchroom when you're so nervous. When you're about ready at once you've been dating for a while and you can feel that they want to take the next step physically and you know it's not right. He goes, I want to give you strength and freedom in that moment. In that moment. When you feel like you're worthless because you've been retired now for 10 years and you really don't know why you're here. No, no, no. You always have purpose. I give you purpose. Let me rule over that. You know what's, I think, a beautiful picture of this? If you ever read the book of 2 Kings, the first major prophet was Elijah. And the pretty unique thing about Elijah is he knew when his life would end on earth. He knew when the day was coming. And in light of that knowledge, you know what uh, Elijah did differently um, at the very end of his life here, the last few days, the last few weeks of his life? You know what he did differently? Nothing. If you knew that you would die uh, on, let's say, June uh, June the 6th. No, say June the 7th, right? 7th? May 7th, right? So in one month, May 7th, how would you live for the next month? You know, that, that kind of question was posed to Elijah. Elijah, he knew that was going to happen, and he did not do anything different. I found that amazing. What's amazing? Because he just went and continued to do what he did. Not because he was perfect, but I think he did view Jesus as his shepherd. And he gave to as much as he, as he knew, he let Jesus rule and reign over him. So you know what he continued doing? Just going to different towns and preaching. I'm just going to do what I've always done. And I think you and I have access to that freedom. Because he wants every what? He wants for you as a sheep to give your shepherd, what he deserves and what he asks for, and that is everything. The rule and reign over all things, a comprehensive gift of your life to him. But I don't think he just wants it kind of like every area. I do think he wants it, he wants every moment existentially, right? Even, I mean, think about the moments in your day when you know you're most grumpy, Right? Can anyone relate to that? Do you know the day, the moments in your day that you know, hey, look, I am generally like this between like 5 and 6 p.m. Or I know I'm the least sanctified between like 6, 15 a.m. and 7 a.m. So no one ever talked to me, right? Don't speak to me. I am this person between these hours. You know what he says to you and to me? He goes, hey, not only do I want the area, I want these time frames where you know Satan's like, I've got him. He is a grouch. She is a diva, right? He goes, no, let, me, let me take this, right? Let me, let, me take, let, me, let me take the areas that you know, the time in your day, the interactions that you have where you feel the most tempted, and he says, I want to be your shepherd. I remember feeling like that my first year on staff in youth ministry over in Orlando. I just did not want to mess up. I thought, what am I doing? I'm a youth pastor. I just graduated seminary. I'm nervous, and I'm nervous, and I'm nervous. And so when I've got boys or girls coming into my office, or, or leaders coming into my office, and they're saying things like, how do I deal with this uh, temptation? Uh, Frank, uh, hey, Frank, I'm not sure about this. What does this mean in the Bible? I'm not sure, whatever. I felt like every moment I was like, God, help me right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him, and he's going to make your path straight, right? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Remember those words, and I felt like I lived by that. Every, I mean, it felt like every moment, every interaction, God, please, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. Give me your words, give me your words, give me your words, give me your, you know, presence. And I felt like there was a intimacy that I had with him that year that I tell you what, I did not have my second year, Because you know what happened my second year? I began to feel like, hey, I kind of got this. I kind of know what's expected of me. I don't need him as much as I needed him my first year. And that was a lie from the pit of hell, right? That was a way for Satan and my sinful flesh and this broken world to get me away from what I was doing. And I, I saw him more as a consultant and not as my shepherd. But that first year, let me tell you, when I needed when I saw myself as a dim-witted, stupid sheep, I talked to him all the time because I didn't know anything. And that's what he's saying to us. I am the shepherd and you... <laughs> so go home and talk about, Pastor Frank said, you're a dim-witted sheep. That's what he told us. We're not going back to that church. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Wow, they love people well there, it's in the Bible that's <laughs> what the Bible says but man talk about being soft and humble and needy man that is a dependent feeling it feels so drippy and needy sometimes and man we're Americans and we love rugged individualism and you do things by yourself dadgummit and you, if you need help for a little bit, I mean, get out of that stage as fast as you can. I mean, get out of that intern stage as fast as you can because then you want to be the professional. I want to be the expert. And that's the exact opposite of, of the sanctification program that he has for you and for me. Because when you give your lives comprehensively and when you give it existentially, here's what I believe happens. Look, he says, I have come that you may have life, and you may have it abundantly. Are you living a full life, an abundant life right now? If someone came and asked you that question right now, what would your answer be? Are you living the abundant life offered to you in the Gospel of John chapter 10, verse 11, or 10, John 10, 10, right? Are you living that life now? And he says, look, when you do this, when you live comprehensively and existentially in me, when you give me those grumpy times, those temptation times, when you give me these different areas of your life, your physical life, your bedroom, your living room, your kitchen, your family room, when you give me all of it, there is going to be a joy that, let me use the, um, in the book of Isaiah, Talks about how the sons of Jerusalem will come back from exile. And you know what it says? It says, they will come back from exile. And you know what the sons that your kids will be wearing? Your kids will be wearing ornaments, right? And and they'll, and they'll walk into you, and the fathers will embrace them, and there will be joy. And I think about the joy that he's talking about here. It's the way that Jesus feels as a proud papa. When he says, I know you've been working on your language. I know you've been working on your marriage. And you know when you took your wife on that date. And you didn't check your phone. And you didn't look past her. You talked to her. And you did it because you knew I wanted you to. And you, knew, you realized that she was a gift from me. And you allowed that to happen in that moment. I am the father, and you are the son. And I feel your victory, and I'm I'm, I'm celebrating it with you. I mean, what happens when a kid in a little league baseball game hits a double? Watch their dad, right? When when the girl on the softball field she you know gets her first single, watch the mom. Are you kidding me? I mean, is there any difference? Between the joy of the son or the, or the father or the mom or the daughter? Is there any difference? They're both experiencing that. And that's what he is trying to offer you and me this morning. He's saying, I want to experience joy when I rule and reign over these different areas and these different times when I know Satan has you. And you're just a jerk. Or you're just a selfish junior hire. And you know it inside. Or you're an angry senior hire. And you know that Satan has you in those moments or your sin comes out. He goes, look, let me be your shepherd. Don't try to control it because you don't know how to do it. Stop using your own strength and use mine. Let me be your shepherd and watch your mouth change. Watch your thoughts change. When you trust in the Lord with all your heart and you don't lean on your own understanding, those paths which were crooked he's going to make straight the rough places he says we will make them plain that's the kingdom of God that is coming down amen and so if you believe that your shepherd is given the right of all right every bit of you what um I guess the question is what do you um what does Jesus give his sheep right what does the shepherd give to you? If you're to give him everything, right, comprehensively, existentially, and, and give him the joy, the joy of those moments, what then does he give you? He says this, I lay down my life knowingly. I, the shepherd, I give my life for my sheep. No one makes me lay down my life. I do it voluntarily. That's why he said, you know what the difference is between someone who's a hired gun and someone who's the actual shepherd of the sheep, who is the owner? Look, when stuff happens to a hired gun, they don't have any ownership in it. They don't have any heartstrings tied to it. You know what? And when the tough, you know, or when, the, when the going gets tough, a hired man leaves. He's out. It's all about money or whatever he can get. And you know what? With Jesus, he's saying to you, it's not, it's about you. He knows you completely. He knows you to the very bottom. You will never do anything at 12.30 today or at 5.30 today or at 5.30 tomorrow or next year that will surprise Him. I mean, that's hard for me to comprehend that I can't surprise Jesus. Because I can do some not smart things. (laughs) He knows you. And I love this story that one of my favorite preachers, um, Tim Keller, says about this young Russian officer. And this officer had been um, embezzling funds uh, from his troop. And he realized he was going to be found out. Right. So imagine that. You're this young Russian uh, army dude. You've realized that you've been stealing and uh, you're going to be found out. So what did he decide to do? He decided to do what he thought was going to come to him. He decided, you know what, I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to kill myself before um, everyone discovers what's, what's happened. So I'm going to end it. I'm going to end my life. And so, the night that he was going to uh, kill himself, he's getting ready, and he thought, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drink, all right, some good, good vodka here, I'm sure. I don't know if it was vodka. Whatever. Assuming. That's um, uh, weird I just said that, but whatever. Whatever. <laughs> So, I mean, imagine he's feeling all kinds of shame and doubt and whatever, and he's like, I'm going to kill myself, I'm going I'm to drink. And so you know what happens that night? He drinks, and he drinks, and he gets so drunk that before he can kill himself, he passes out. True story. He passes out. The czar himself comes into this um, Russian officer's room, and he looked at the books that the young man had, had opened, and he was passed out over, and he figured out at that moment what had happened. And he left a note, and he put his seal on it, and he said, I will make good the debt. And so, when the young man came to his senses after he was passed out, and he looked and he realized, I mean, what the Tsar had seen, the Tsar had seen him at his worst. The Tsar had seen what he had done, and not only what he had done, what he was planning on doing. And you know what? He's seen my heart, and he's seen my sin, and he says this, I'm still going to redeem you. I still am going to make you right. Do you know that that's what's happened to you and to me? He has seen whatever you've done in the past, whatever you are doing right now, that's horrible. Whatever you will do in the future, that's ridiculous, and he says, I've seen it all, I'm going to see it all, and you know what? Here's how much I love you. I love you so much that I am going to redeem you no matter what. Game changer. That, that's a different, that's, that's not Hinduism, that's not Buddhism, right? That's not Islam. This is, a, this is not a religion anymore, this is a relationship. And so, for some of you, he says, look, let me glory. Let me glory in being your substitution. Let me die in the dark so you can live in the light, that's what he says. Let me, I'm going to take your cross, West Town, so you can have my crown. That's how much you mean to me. I'm going to take your punishment and you can have my reward, Yes, I know you're the sheep. Yes, I know that you are foolish, Frank, and you're rebellious, but let me glory. I'm gonna make you my joy. You know what? Some of us don't sleep well in this room. Some of us in this room, you just don't sleep, right? You close your eyes for maybe six hours, but you never sleep, right? You close your eyes and you're semi conscious. And you call that sleep, but you never rest. And Jesus says to you, look, will you come to me, sheep, and let me give you rest? Let me be your shepherd, and will you stop trying to control everything? Because you know what? You're missing out on a sleep, on a good night's sleep. And when you can rest, then you can work, and you can live. And some of you Where Some of us are living in these half-zombie states where we're just tired all the time and we never see things and we can't feel things because we're halfway numb the entire time. And he says, I want you to live fully the abundant life. That's what he has for you and for me. And I think, I feel like some of you in this room, right? Here's the thing. I talk about. There are curious people, and I know you're not Christian yet, but you're curious. And some of you are caustic, or you're critical of the church. And you've done your investigation, and you've sought out things. And you know what? When you hear a passage like this, you know what I believe this is to you? It's Jesus saying, okay, you've done it. You've looked at it for a while now. You've been been on the fringe. You've kicked the tires, right? You've done all your research. Here's what I know. The church isn't perfect. Frank's got some warts, right? I know. Jesus has none. And you know that. You know he is perfect. And the church is just the gathering, the ecclesia of people that come and proclaim him. We come as saint and sinner. And you know what he's saying to you? He's saying, just stop, right? Stop um, stalling. You're stalling now. You know, Immanuel Kant, the great philosopher, said there's a wall. The other great philosopher, Samuel David Hume, says there's this big gap. And that's where we get the term leap of faith. He's like, here's, here's what you have to do now. You've got to decide not to, walk, not to walk by sight, but you've got to walk by faith. And you have to take the leap of faith. That's what's hard about this, is that you have to then take the leap and believe in what you do not see. It always makes me think of Joshua 3, where Jesus says, or God says, the Trinity says to the people of Israel, The promised land across the Jordan River is for you. Now, I know it's at high season, and it's at flood level, but I want you to take the Ark of the Covenant, I want you to stand on the banks of the Jordan, and I want you to take a step. Not when you see the waters begin to recede, but while they're at flood level. And when you take that step, and when you begin to step into the flood, believing in what you cannot see, I promise you, you will see the Red Sea Part Two happen. And as soon as they did that, I tell you what, man, red sea parted or the jordan river stopped and they walked across this dry jordan river into the promised land and they took what god had always promised they would take and for some of you man it's time to stop stalling i know you think the church is good and nice but it's time for you to make it yours and he's saying come on believe in me I will give you a full life. It will not be the health and wealth that maybe some church um, pastors, right, with purple pinstripe suits would say, you get health and wealth, baby. Come to me. No, no that's not what he's offering. He's offering you life, right, in the midst of the storm. He's, he's, he's offering you life in the midst of cancer, a broken marriage, in the midst of this broken world, he says, you can have true life. Where are you? That's why we're here. That is why we are here as a church. We are to be a crossroads. And maybe you're at a crossroads, but it's time to stop stalling. And you got to take a left or you got to take a right. You can't just stay at the intersection your entire life. What are you going to do? And he's not trying to be coercive or heavy-handed. He's saying, come Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So here's the thing. It's the first Sunday of um, the month. So not only do we give you the word of God, the preached gospel, as we say we want to give you the visual, the visible gospel in the form of his sacrament, his table. And so I'm going to pray. I'm going to have blessing over the sacrament that he would bless this meal that we are to take. Um, so as the, as the elders come forward, um, let me pray, and then we will take our sacrament together. Father God, we come to you as, as sheep, and you are the great shepherd. And Father, we know what that means for us to admit that we are dumb and slow and aimless. You know, many of us in this room do not want to admit that. I do not want to admit that we need you but God we do know your voice and we know the stranger's voice but sometimes we don't want because we are selfish we don't want to follow your voice and we ask that you correct that in our lives you change that in our lives and remind us what your word in this table is about it's about grace that you glory in being our substitution thank you for that freedom. Thank you that a a czar looked at a young Russian officer and said, I'm going to repay the debt. That points us to you. In your name. Amen.